Well, again, thanks for, thanks for coming back after a break. That was your op- window of opportunity to bug out and get into your uh, afternoon. I was asking Al, you know, his, his take on how this is going. And I said, you know, part of, part of my aim is, you know, there are great resources, namely Scripture, but books, some of which I've referenced, probably many of you have read, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. You've got small children, young children, I, it's just one of the best books I know as a supplement to scriptures. Another one, uh, Gospel-Centered or Grace-Filled Parenting. I don't remember the title by William Farley, another outstanding book for uh, the younger years. And then, and then Ted's brother Paul wrote Age of Opportunity, a phenomenal book for parenting teens. Uh, and I, I check with Alan uh, Corey, I brought it along. I've done a lousy job of promoting it, uh, and, and the purpose of promoting it isn't to get you to buy it, but I've read it, and it's a phenomenal book. It's called Raising God's Girl, written by Rich and Mary Lou Graham. They used to be members of Metro Life Church or in a different church, but I know Rich. Uh, he gave me a copy. I read it. I, I met him for lunch. said, Rich, thank you so much. A, a grace-filled book, but more nuanced in parenting daughters. And so if you've, you've got daughters and that's something you're interested in, they're, they're 12 bucks. Uh, if, if I still have some tomorrow, they'll probably be like four bucks because I don't want to drive them back to Orlando. Like I, I'm doing a lousy job promoting them. Like, well, gee, I buy it today or buy it tomorrow. Uh, but uh, the, idea, the idea isn't money. It's just to put a resource in your hands if it'd be helpful. Uh, also, though, at times, <clears throat> trying to take a storytelling relational approach, I, I end up skipping over things. I kind of go with the unspoken, like, well, it's there in the notes, so look at it. But some things might be worth a little elaboration. So before I jump right into this last one, I'm going to go back to last night just to sort of set the reminder. And if you don't have those notes from last night, that's okay. But I, I sort of blew over that last section on training our children with gracious authority. And I've said this a couple times that uh, <clears throat> as much as we're seeking to come alongside of our children and relate to our children and, and, and help them see that the gap between who we are and who they are really isn't as great as it may sometimes appear. With all that being said, we are the God-given authority in their lives. We're, we're, we're put in their lives for a purpose. And my goodness, we're living in a time where recognizing authority, let alone how you define authority, is just challenged in every way, shape, and form. So we need to recognize the discomfort and confusion that surrounds the issue of authority and the fact that our children are growing up in a world uh, like that. I, I, you know, at times, I'm, I'm 43, and I feel, like, I, I feel like in some ways it's easier for me to identify with a 73-year-old in terms of social structures than even with a 30-year-old who's only 13 years younger than me because the, the, the pace of change has been so rapid. It's just so quick coming at us fast and furious. And, and, and so authority, I mean, really, wherever autonomy is promoted, what's going to be challenged? Authority. And autonomy is like the gospel of culture, right? Uh, and doing things my way, and who are you or who are they to tell me how to live, what to do, etc. And here we are as Christians seeking to instruct our children, you're actually under authority. And, and that's actually good. God intends to bless you 
because of that. But 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 at earlier points than ever before, we've got to help our children recognize the discomfort and confusion that surrounds it. But you know, Scripture is replete with examples where parents neglected to exercise their authority and the horrific uh, results. Uh, one example that comes to mind is Eli and his sons. Now, if we, if we went to 1 Samuel 2, we won't turn there for time this morning. If we went there, we'd understand that, okay, this is first about worshiping God. It's not, it's not first about who Eli was as a dad, but, but, but throughout 1 Samuel 2 is this picture of this passive dad who is not calling his sons to account who's not calling his sons to obedience. And although Eli himself didn't participate, and he did rebuke them later, the problem was the rebuke came way too late. He never, he never intervened. He never got engaged. He never removed his sons uh, from their sin. Uh, you know, when our children are younger, sometimes that looks more black and white, but... Uh, you know, it, I mentioned our oldest daughter, she's graduating uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, she went into public high school two years ago. One of the things that we communicated as part of that, we gave her some options, some choices with schools that, that we were in faith for, but, but we wanted her to own the decision as well. And so it wasn't just, you'll go here, you'll go there. The, these were the options. But one of the things we communicated was starting the school year doesn't mean finishing the school year here. In other words, as we go into this, we'll see how it's going, and we're going to pray, and we're going to continue to ask the Lord for wisdom, and if it seems like it's working and all that, great. But if for some reason, whether, you know, imagine any number of scenarios that would come up as to why you might feel the need to remove your son or daughter from a school, at the end of the day, what we were wanting her to know is, while we're giving you a range of options, we're not ceding our authority. We're not removing ourselves from, from being the guide in your life that God has called us to be. And, and any parent, well, you don't, you don't need a teenager to know this. You, you just need a two-year-old in a store that you say no to to understand that if you're going to parent based upon approval ratings, uh, <laughs> it's going to be bad business because many days you're not going to measure up. I love Calvin and Hobbes. absolutely love him. I love his approval rating charts that he would make and take to his dad, you're, you're slipping, dad, you know. You're, you're slipping if you're familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. But the reality is this. As parents, we've been given the authority to act on God's behalf. It's not our kingdom come. It's his kingdom come. We're acting on God's behalf in the lives of our children. We are God's ambassadors. We are, if you will, his Agents. So this is not a free-for-all. We're not setting up our kingdom with our rules. What we are hopefully doing by grace is positioning our kids to respond to God's rules, His rules that are intended to bless. Uh, now, honestly, understanding our call to act as God's agent, that's humbling and sobering in parenting. Uh, sometimes you mention the word authority in parenting, and some people are, are amening you. But what they're amening is something very different than, than what, that what God has told us. It's, it's not an authority to, to, to just do what we want the way we want to do it. No, the authority is given by God to responsibly parent our children toward Him. Ultimately, 
We're preparing and parenting our children to respond to their greater parent, their forever parent, if you will, in one sense, the Lord himself. And that calls for humility. Our children need to understand the circle of blessing that is parental authority, where and when, by grace, that parental authority is being exercised in a God-glorifying, grace-filled way. Like Proverbs, there are, in other places in Scriptures, general truths, like Ephesians 6. Children, honor and obey your parents, and what? It will go well with you. It's one of the first commandments with a promise. It, 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 it doesn't mean that if your children always honor you and always obey you, they'll never be bullied. That's not what it means. It is a general truth that if, if you will respond to the God-given structures in your life, your path will be a path of blessing, as compared and contrasted with those who don't. And so... Again, we're seeking to teach and instruct our children in ways where they see the circle of submission to parental authority as a place of safety. It's a place where they're going to be cared for. And by implication, being outside that circle is a place of peril. And I'd add to that, in my house, most of the ways in which my children have become more persuaded that is true is when they fail to do it. You follow me? They've become more convinced that our authority is a place of safety when they've experienced the consequences of going outside of it. And as parents, we we would love for it to be the opposite, right? But I don't have to look past my own heart. Some of the most profound lessons I have learned about the grace of God and His mercy in my life have come when? When I've sinned. When I've stumbled. When I have fallen, that's, that's humbling as a parent. I know you know this, but just because you tell your children that's the way of blessing doesn't mean that's going to be the way they want to go. <laughs> Sometimes they've only become persuaded that truly is the way of blessing because they've encountered some kind of destruction in some way, shape, or form going the other way. The authority of parents is a blessing. However, that's only going to be experienced by our children if if the whole circle of Ephesians 6 is held out, isn't it? It's it's not for no reason that right after Paul speaks to children about honoring and obeying their parents, what's the very next thing that follows? Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. By the way, when, you, when we do that reactionary, I'm going to tell you everything I know and you're going to listen and own this right now, that's called exasperating. That, that's what that is. That's not instruction. That's exasperation. Don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Exasperate is to frustrate, to drive mad or to annoy. That one way, Melissa and I have tried to work this out as I mentioned, this idea of we can't charge up every hill. I mean, you can. You can try to charge up every hill that will come your way in your house. But we're learning over time. Most of the things that our children are passionate about today are forgotten in a week. And so before I get all jacked up and react to this one thing or that one thing, like take a step back, breathe, and, okay, what's the big picture here? What are the implications of this or that decision? 
uh, a big one in our house <clears throat> was hair, particularly what color hair. Uh, and so, uh, particularly for our girls. And sadly, to my shame, I think there was a time where I, I never said this out loud, but I, I, I think I actually believed in some functional way that if you change your hair color, you're like less godly. Or, now, I never said that out loud, but, but the way I was reacting to them wanting to change their hair color was definitely telling me something's out of whack here. And again, we could have immediately made that conversation, and I'm not even suggesting we did this the right way. I, I don't know. But by the way, that's the greatest thing I can tell you about parenting. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> the results aren't in yet. Uh, but... You know, it could immediately descend into, okay, you want to change your hair color. Well, this must be, this must be you're trying to get someone's approval. You're not content with who God made you to be. You're not this. You're not, and on and on. What if maybe they just want to change their hair color? What if the stakes are not salvation? What, what if there's a way to be a Christian with pink hair or whatever the case may be? So I can't tell you how many shades, I don't even know, I don't know how many shades of hair color my daughter's had, but she's come full circle. She kind of wants it the natural color. And I think part of grace-filled parenting is, is not, I don't want to suggest you, it's saying yes to as much as you can in, in some uh, placating way. But if everything's no, it's just a matter of time before they're going to stop asking and just go do. And so, have we got it right each time? I don't think we have. But, but where we can, by grace, we're saying yes, where we can, to the small hills, so that we can reserve our nose for the bigger hills that seem to have greater implications. Uh, It was just a non-negotiable to me that my daughter was going to leave the prom with a driver that I didn't know. That was going to be a no. But we said yes to the dress and yes to this and yes to that, and she made a great pick with the dress. It wasn't modest or anything at all. Uh, there were so many things about the way the prom unfolded that were beautiful and great and that we said yes to. That just wasn't going to be one of them. Uh, just wasn't going to have her drive with a stranger, wasn't going to have her in a situation where things would get out of her control, etc. But I think with each of our kids, they're going, to, they're going to do a little better with the nose if they're experiencing grace-filled authority as the normative pattern. And I don't mean that a no is not grace-filled, because sometimes no is the most gracious thing you can say. But rather... Let's live attentive to that. Uh, we're asking our kids to go countercultural. We're asking them to respond to us as opposed to reject us. We're, a- we're asking them to not buy the idea that, it, particularly as they're, they're teens, and I mean, have, how many of you have had this conversation or, or your child has led, a, led the beginning of a conversation with this idea, when I turn 18? What? What, what does that mean? I know two things happen when you turn 18. You can legally vote, and you can be held responsible as an adult for crime. That's all I know. I, I don't, I've never met someone who was 17 and 364 days old who the next day was like this 
fountain of wisdom that, that just magically appeared overnight. No, wisdom is process. Wisdom is time. I, I know some 18-year-olds are way more mature than 25-year-olds, and so do you, and vice versa. But they're living in a world that's telling them, no, you're your own. You're autonomous. You don't need mom and dad to tell you what to do, uh, etc. Our children, and I think especially teens, they lean toward legalism. They lean toward things being black and white. It's ironic to me that a teen will simultaneously rail against legalism while being one of the most legalistic people. It, 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 like it doesn't even occur to them that it's that way. They want things so black and white. Boundaries are debated. Boundaries are pushed, etc. We're asking them to swim against the stream. And in the midst of that, we're seeking to do that as shepherds, not masters. Shepherds. We're seeking to guide them. Yes, when they're younger, that guidance looks one way. As they're getting older, the guidance looks a little different. I, I, I think of parenting off in this way. You know, when they're born, they, they've got like this much maneuvering and freedom, right? These are the guardrails. But as they're growing, by grace, this, this is to be the picture. It, it's widening a bit. The guardrails don't go away as much as they might like them to. But they are, they are changing. I've said to our kids, too, the guardrails aren't fixed. They can do this as needed. But if it's always this, they're, 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 you know the moments. I, I, I don't know what, they don't all look the same for every family, but you reach that moment where it's, we, we need to, we need to, et cetera, uh, move, move them out. But uh, <clears throat> ultimately, again, we're keeping the big picture in view. That, that, that success in parenting again, if our children are older and they're able to look back and say, you know, I don't agree with everything mom and dad did, but I know that what they did, they did to point us to Jesus. And for that, I'm grateful. And for that, I am thankful because I have a model to bring to my own children. Kirk Cameron, I think he said it well. He said, my life's number one goal is to lead my sons to saving faith in Jesus Christ. What else is there? A hundred years from now, it won't matter whether they drove a tow truck or the space shuttle. I love that. And that's success in parenting. One generation commending the mighty works of God to the next. And our part in that, <clears throat> we can save our children. But hopefully our example is a gracious one that pointed them to Christ. This would be my heart for me. Lord, you save. You're the one who does that. I can't save my children. But by grace, I hope my example will lead my children to you, not they come to you in spite of me. Follow me? That it wasn't in spite of me they came to you, but rather they saw something. I, I, I don't have the power to save them. But they saw something in me. They saw something in their mother worthy of commendation, worthy of praise, worthy of their attention. In, in, in some way, that's every parent's hope and heart. So engaging in the struggle. Proverbs 1, going back to this is your last session, that last session notes now. Proverbs 1, 7 and 9 says the following. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Just, just take that statement in our culture. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's just a presupposition in Scripture. That's the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. We don't know exactly how old the children are here in view, but it's commonly thought that they're teens or older. Let's, for the sake of our time, let, let, let's assume they were, they were teens, as we, as we think of teens. I don't, I don't even think the word teens existed before like 1950. But anyway, it's the times we live in. But let me ask it this way. Don't you miss adolescence if you're older? I mean, don't you miss it? Somebody asked me that recently. Do you miss being a teenager? And I just laughed. No, I don't miss being a teenager at all. I am glad to be through that phase of life entirely. And there was a lot of good in it, but there was a lot of other stuff in it as well. And I don't know what your experience was, who you were as a teen, but Ted Tripp says it well. He says, teenagers' lives are full of complexity. Strong forces compete for their attention. They often feel insecure. They worry about their parents. They spend a lot of time fixing their hair and clothes. They change their clothes three or four times before going out. They practice in front of the mirror. Is this my good smile? Is this my good side? Will people like... This was before selfies, by the way, when he wrote this. Will I have a lot of friends? Teens feel vulnerable toward adults in their world. One minute adults say, if you want to be treated like an adult, act like an adult. When teens act like adults, adults say, don't get too big for your britches. You're still a kid. Teens are never exactly sure what's expected of them. So if I were to select a word to summarize the adolescent years, I think unstable would be near the top of the list. And I don't mean that negatively. I mean physically, they're changing. They're changing a lot. Their voice changes. Their footing changes. Their emotions change. They're unstable in a world of ideas. I mean, just think, just think of in this one issue, in the last few years, just the last year, Caitlyn Jenner, I think last week Target just announced gender-neutral bathrooms. And I believe, I believe they're, they're, gonna, they're supposedly going to add a third bathroom uh, to make everybody comfortable, but that'll probably get challenged too. Be like, no, 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 we don't want a third one. We only want, it just, it's good for everybody. You know, so to, it seems the only thing wrong in that dynamic today would be for me to think that as a man, I should go into a man's bathroom and there should only be men in there. That's the only thing that's wrong anymore because I'm, I'm archaic and et cetera, et cetera. This is where our kids are growing up in. So how, how, how far off are, I mean, for all the things we've uh, thought about as parents related to school, because we're, we're planning, at, at the moment, we're planning to put our two younger daughters in, into public school next year. For all the things we've thought about, for all the reasons we've gone back and forth on that decision, it never occurred to us that one of the things we might have to think about is who's in the bathroom with them. I mean, we were thinking of all kinds of other challenges and whether or not it's wise. And so we'll, we'll just have to continue to pray and continue to evaluate. But the point is, our ch- it, they're unstable because everything around them is unstable. Hopefully our homes is representing, are representing one place of stability in a very 
unstable world. That, that, that's, that's just outward stuff, but then there's the internal stuff. The internal instability. You know, generally speaking, if your kids are like mine, before they're 10 years old, very little gets questioned, right? More or less, they believe what you tell them. They do what you ask of them. After 10, and, and this one is a little different, if wisdom comes in small bits, it, it seems like um, questioning everything is like a faucet or like a light switch. Like, you, you, have you had that experience with your kids? Like, you used to just go with the flow, and now everything gets questioned, and it seems to come overnight. But that's, that's what it's like. They're, they're, that, that's not necessarily disrespectful or rebellious. It just They're changing. Things that they didn't question, they now have questions about. They're unstable in their emotions. Do you have children who have not even left the room who went from happy to sad in a millisecond? And you have no idea, like, like, like maybe you're in the kitchen and you turned your back and by the time you turned back around, they were, somewhere, they were someone else, let alone somewhere else. The emotional pen, pendulum swings hard and fast in adolescence, doesn't it? Solid ground isn't easy to find which can lead to unsolid, unstable, impulsive decision-making. Older children experience adult-like challenges, right? Things are bigger, the stakes are higher as they get older. Temptations change. I mentioned, you know, doing a... Uh, covenant eyes with my my 15-year-old son. Well, we didn't need to do that when he was five. Temptations change. Access to things, to ideas, to images that maybe they were shielded from in younger years, it's just increasingly hard to do as they get older. It's all over. Exposure to harder issues in life changes. Direct and indirect. And, yeah, just a word on smartphones, all that. If your son or daughter has a phone and a few friends, their world just got huge. And ideas. Because they're brought into what their friends are thinking and feeling and doing at lightning speed compared to when we were children. I mean, that half hour in their bedroom with the door closed, my goodness. You, I, I don't mean this as fright, but just the potential is there to be exposed to all manner of things that you and I growing up never... I mean, we had to go looking for things. They don't have to go looking. They just need to click a button or get an update. One of the things we're seeking to prepare our daughter Ellie for, who's going into middle school, she's a sweet girl, She's got her struggles like anybody. Uh, she's, she, she's a peacemaker. She's a peacemaker at all costs. She will work hard to get people to like her. We're trying to prepare her. Honey, it's unrealistic in a school setting. There will just be kids who for whatever reason, and oftentimes for no reason at all, who just won't like you. And so 
we're talking about uh, things like, you know, you're going to have your, your iPod that's got a Wi-Fi connection so that you can contact us if you need it. But at this point in your life, it's not for when, when somebody in the hall is like, hey, what's your, you know, what, what's your address? What's your this? What's your that? Like, no, that, that's not what it's for. Now, she kind of wonders why, why not? Because these people over here, I, I do have a, I don't even know what to call it. What do you, if you have a, help me out here. What are the popular apps for social media right now? Yeah, Snapchat's a no-no in our house uh, for them. Instagram, that's the one I was trying to get to. Uh, and who she's allowed to have and trying to help her understand why it's a name-by-name, family-by-family decision that we're making for her. And so if you're in that school next year and it's the first day and you're in the cafeteria, it, it's not a free-for-all. You No, you're not. And part of that is we're wanting to protect her from the inevitable. And we know there'll come a point we can't fully protect her. But for as long as we can, we don't want her bombarded with images about she's ugly, she's this, she's that. Just because that, I mean, goodness gracious, I don't, I have three girls, so I don't think I'm disrespecting anybody. I mean, boys can be rough. Girls, middle school, what in the world? Like, what's in the water, ladies? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's brutal. They're absolutely brutal. And it can go on and on. Well, she's going to experience adult-like challenges. And I'd say they're experiencing them at younger ages all the time with social media, etc. Now, all, all that's happening, all this bombardment is happening in an immature undeveloped but developing, hormonal, exaggerated, anxious mind and heart, right? That's, that's the adolescent years. Our children, our teens need a steady, careful, gracious, listening, compassionate set of ears so that hopefully in turn they can receive gracious, wise, Christ-exalting words of wisdom. If, generalization again, if a young child doesn't quite know how to articulate what's going on in their heart. The temptation for the adolescent child is, I don't want to tell you what's going on in my heart. Yet our, our, ours is the job of seeking to draw that heart out, pointing them to the knowledge of God. So much listening's involved. Well, how do we understand, how do we engage in the struggle? For all that our kids are going to face... I think as parents, our task is to help them to understand their foremost struggle in life is a gospel struggle, not another struggle. There are struggles, but the foremost struggle, the struggle that will shape, define their responses to all other struggles is the struggle for their heart to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What so-and-so just posted on Snapchat is not the beginning of knowledge. What so-and-so posted on Instagram that you feel like because you haven't been permitted to get the Instagram account with them and you're somehow left out is not the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, so one question before us as parents, as our children age, is, is our child a Christian? 
Now, younger children are going to tend to trust what we tell them, and the scripture we point them to is sufficient, but they don't necessarily know how it applies. Just because my young child can quote a verse doesn't mean they understand the verse. Just because they have a lot of information and knowledge doesn't mean they've got saving faith. And then older children, teens and young adults, are on a spectrum of spiritual maturity. I think as our kids are getting older, I'm learning this more and more, that even this, this word gospel and what is the gospel, well, they're growing in their understanding of that. At the start, it's little more than the forgiveness of sin, but very little connection to how does Jesus want to work in your life today as you get ready to go out the door and into your school or into your part-time job or into your whatever as your kids are aging, as you're going to go interact with the other kids at church, whatever your context How is Christ working in you today? One of the phrases we've used is, uh, and and your kids maybe are similar, maybe different, but uh, when it comes to the gospel in our children's lives, I I think what we're seeing is there's there's this continuum of growth, of learning that the gospel isn't only what you're saved from, but what you're saved for. So they got the from part, save from sin, save from judgment. But what, okay, yes. <clears throat> but is that all? No. What do you save for? What's this relationship about? And how can that make any difference with Instagram, with a friend in the hall, with a friend at church, etc.? How can they connect who Christ is? which, by the way, is the wisdom of God, who is the source of all knowledge. How can they connect that to daily life so, so that Jesus isn't for them or the gospel isn't for them, just like another book in a backpack with many other books, where he's one source of influence among all kinds of sources of influence versus becoming the ultimate source of inference. And this gets... Interesting, it gets challenging as our kids get older. I think the average teen, young adult, is better with explication than implication. Have you noticed that? When things are black and white, that, that, that's one way. But it, it is astonishing to me, it shouldn't be, but it still is, which just shows how much growing I have to do. But it, it's amazing to hear the myriad of issues that teens don't think the Bible addresses. So, if you, if you asked um, the average teenager, hey, do you think God's Word has anything to say about Snapchat? I think the average teen would say, no, it doesn't address things like that. Well, in one sense, they're right, right? It doesn't literally say something about Snapchat. But does God's Word have anything to say about wisdom? Oh, my It's got a lot to say about wisdom. And might what God has to say about wisdom have something to do with what I should or should not put on Snapchat? Suddenly, Scripture has a lot to say about Snapchat. You get the idea. They get the explication much easier than the implication. You know, what kind of dress should you wear to prom? Does Scripture address that? doesn't say anything about prom, Dad. Right. And it also says a lot about a prom. It says all kinds of things in terms of wisdom. And again, that's what <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we're 
That's what we're called to do, to shepherd our children toward wisdom, the wisdom of God. I, I think Proverbs 1, the fear of the Lord, that's shorthand for all that the Lord is. It's not about being afraid of God. It's rather a worldview that understands there is a God in heaven who created me, he created me for a purpose, and he's the Lord, and he's got a plan for my life. But I'm only going to discover the goodness of that as I'm submitted to that plan. The, see, the instruction of the Lord <clears throat> in Proverbs is considered a graceful garland or a pendant for their neck. But we're trying to persuade our children of that living in a world where the instruction of the Lord is viewed as anything but a graceful garland, right? It's, it's viewed as all kinds of other things. But that's what Scripture calls it. It's a graceful garland, which, which means a pleasant, a precious ornament. Uh, What's the, uh, what are the charm bracelets right now that are really popular? Pandora, yeah. It's like that. For us, that's, that's like walking down Park Avenue in Winter Park, Florida, and you get to the store, the Alex and Annie store, whatever it's called, that, that, that sells all those. And it's like you stop, you look at the window, they're so beautiful. Yeah, that's, that's what the wisdom of God is like, kids. It's like that. It's like something you want to wear. Have it out in the open like that. A gold chain around the neck. A precious stone. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, when uh, Solomon said that, 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 that's something that the first readers, they, w- they would have understood immediately what he meant. Back in Genesis 41, we read the following. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. It was understood in those times that, that to have that gold chain around your neck was a mark of distinction. And that's what Solomon is saying to my son. God's word is that. The knowledge of God is that. It's, 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 it's a distinguishing necklace. So the image being conveyed is in Proverbs is that of a gracious father or mother who's giving life-giving teaching to their child. But it's also an image of a wise son or daughter who considers the wisdom and grace being conveyed as desirable in contrast to being enticed by sinners. Now, I've walked on Park Avenue with my children, particularly my girls. They find the Alex and Annie store enticing. You know what I mean? Like they look in the window, want to go in, want me to spend money there. Uh, the other night, we had dinner and we, on Park Avenue. Then we took a walk after, and Paige indicated there's a, a pendant in there she'd like for graduation. It's enticing. Well, that, that's the play on words Solomon's using. My son, if sinners entice you, if, if what they've got in their window, don't, don't, don't go to their window, son. Go over here. God's window. Buy what's there. And so Solomon's doing what is our task as parents in that passage, which is to help our children see the beauty of God's truth as the answer to all of their life. Now, remember what we said last night. They've got to see us modeling this, not only teaching this. Because it isn't going to do much good if they hear us saying one thing, but observe us doing another as our, as our patterned way. 
Our task is to help them see the beauty by modeling it first, but also in small doses, instructing them. It's easy to lose sight of that in the day-to-day of parenting, that that's our primary task. So, let's examine our instruction against the picture of Proverbs 1. How do we ensure in the giving that our instruction is like a graceful garland? And I say, how do we ensure in the giving? Because you and I, as much as we might like to, we don't get to ensure the receiving. You follow me? I, I can't make my children, as much as I want to, I can't make my children accept what I'm saying. I'm, parenting is just humbling. I mean, you think you're in control, right? <laughs> no, we're not. So many levels, we're not. I can't moral them into the kingdom of God. I, I, I can't exasperate them into the kingdom of God. I can't instruct them into the kingdom of God. Only the Holy Spirit of God shedding light on their darkness can do that. Ours is the task of pointing them toward the Lord. And one way we do that is to hopefully demonstrate for them that, you know, in my life, the instruction of the Lord is like a graceful garland. I'm grateful for it. So how do we do that? How do we ensure? I think first it begins with prayer. And then pray more, and then pray more. But I don't, I don't mean by this that, that we're merely praying for our children. Rather, we're praying for our example. Father in heaven, as I go about this day, make it alive in me that, that the way I live today before my children, before you, before my wife, before the people I encounter, it, it's making a difference. It's demonstrating something to my children. We pray. Pray for, pray for communication, more specifically, with your children. Lord, help me. Help me to understand how best to communicate with, and you name your children for me, with Paige, with Bennett, with Ellie, with Anna. They're different ages, different gender, different kids. I don't have twins. Do any of you have twins, identical twins physically? Okay. I'm going to guess, even though they're identical twins physically, they're not the same. No. So, of course, why wouldn't it be that way? Because they're twins. Yeah, so, you can't just assume, well, this, this is the way it works with this one. It must be the same with that one. If that's not true for twins, it's not going to be any more true with our children. It's just not like that. To individually pray, Lord, what... What is a way to engage their heart? And, you know, I, I think in examining our instruction, it, it's, good, I, it's good to pay attention to what I might call some hurdles, obstacles, putting them politely, but they're, 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 there's some wrong ways to go about trying to instruct our children. One of them is the cat and mouse. Have you done this? It's trying to catch our children doing wrong. You know, we are trying in our house regularly to communicate, we trust you. Now, trust you doesn't mean carte blanche to just go out and do whatever, be out later, this, that, but, but, but by trust, we're, we're, we're leading. I mean, I, used to, I, I was a school teacher before I was a pastor. It used to drive me nuts when you'd start a semester with a teacher who would tell you you had a zero or a C? Like, what? what? You know, like, you have a zero. 
can only go up from here. Or you have a C, you know, you're just like in the middle. Like, I always love those teachers. Like, you start with an A. Now it's yours to lose. Uh, and I'm, again, I don't even know that's the right way to do it, but that's how we've tried to instruct our kids. That we're not looking to catch you doing wrong. If you do wrong, we want to be faithful. But it's not a cat and mouse game. You know, as our teens get older, I, I think we've got to be aware as parents of the temptation to disengage with them. And, and how do we do that? I, I think a way we can disengage is, and I don't know, we're not told. You know, maybe, maybe Eli did try to speak to his sons. And maybe he reached that point where he just felt like, yeah, they just don't listen. They, no matter what I say, they're going to do the opposite. You ever tempted to feel that way? No matter what I say, they're just going to do the opposite anyway. Or at best, they're just indifferent. They just don't care what I have to say. And so parenting, parenting comes back to, remember I asked the question, what defines success in parenting? Like, for some, it's just like, how about survival? Just getting to the finish line? And it becomes almost like the lowest common denominator. Like, like, I don't offer you any instruction. All we've got is, please be home by 1 a.m. <laughs> like, that's like the extent of instruction for some who just, they just give up, disengage. No, no, the, the father in Proverbs is pleading, staying engaged. Maybe that's not one that you're tempted with. I think another one, though, can be authoritarianism versus influence. Now, this, this is tricky because I'd say this is, this is on a scale. It, it changes over time. I mean, sort of like the sunrise, you know, it's not just dark and then noon, right? That's not how it works. If you get over to the beach in the morning, it, it's building, right? And it's like that in this. When, when our children... You know, I'm not really trying to influence my two-year-old in the same way I am my 15-year-old. There's just an authority line with a two-year-old, right? If, if my two-year-old makes a move toward a hot burner on the stove, I'm really not talking influence. I am going to authoritatively get them out of the way of the harm, right? That, that's how it works. But as they're getting older, that, that, that starts to look different. I'm not talking about authoritarianism versus influence here. I'm not talking about the right and proper use of parental authority. I am talking about the overbearing, exasperating kind. As our children grow older, I think it's influence we're after. I mean, the authority is going to stop. I mean, how much authority do you guys have? Yet your daughters are here. Some of your kids are here. I, I didn't ask Melinda or Vanessa. I'm guessing they're here in part, one, their own love of the Lord. Maybe in some way, like, yeah, we'll support Dad and what he's got on the calendar at church this weekend. I doubt that's it. Uh, it's probably got more to do with influence. What Al and Desi have poured into them over the years, and now in their adult years with their children. They're here because of the influence of mom and dad. Not mom and dad called you. Hey, we registered you for the weekend seminar. <laughs> and be home by 10. Those days are gone. The days of influence are not. I was talking with a dad. He is in a struggle. He's a 30-year-old son, friend back in Pennsylvania. 
And uh, his son is, uh, in his words, lost his faith. And, of course, as a parent, is there anything more heartbreaking? Uh, yet, one of the things his son has said is that he, he'd like to have more time with his dad. Now, his dad's confused. Because there's nothing dad wants more than for his son to return to the Lord. And he knows that it, his son knows that that's what he wants to talk about when they're together. And yet, his son is also saying, I, I want to get more time with my dad. So I'm just trying to encourage my friend, listen, my heart breaks. With, I mean, I, I, I presided over this man's wedding. I mean, my heart breaks. He's, he's, he's like a son, in a way, to me. His family's very dear to us. Uh, so, but listen, he wants to spend time with you. I, I can't tell you exactly what that will look like right now. And I'm certain you won't see the immediate fruit of it, but in some way you still have influence with your son. And that's something to thank God for and to pray and ask God for wisdom when to just listen. You already know your son's fully coming, expecting you're going to unload on him why he should believe. Maybe that's not what you're supposed to do right now. Maybe right now it's modeling compassion and modeling a listening ear and there's something he feels like he didn't get or do or receive from you in younger years, and yet he, want, he wants that now, you've got influence. That's ultimately what we're praying for. I, I, even, even with my 15-year-old son, uh, Thursday afternoon before we left to, to head down this way, I'm aware in that moment, I'm really more trying to influence his weekend than I am authority over his weekend. I mean, could it be said that if he doesn't mow the lawn, there will be consequences? Yeah. We could say that. Uh, That that would be true, in a sense. But at the end of the day, I don't think at this point, I don't think he's mowing the yard today or possibly putting off until right before I get home tomorrow, (laughs) whenever he does it. I, I don't think it's ultimately authority right now. I think we're in the change. We're, we're, not, we're not fully on the other side. I'm still authority in his life, but I, I really believe he's doing it because he loves me. Because as much as I'm still his father, we're growing in friendship. And I thank God for that. That's, a, that's like a last six to nine month development. Uh, I, I'm not pleading with him to go out to Dunkin' Donuts on Friday morning before school. He's reminding me that it's Friday morning and we're going to Dunkin' Donuts before school. It's a pretty cool transition. But I think in the end, he's going to mow because he wants to honor what I asked him to do. More out of influence than authority. Now, that's going to look different as he keeps getting older. Uh, we're not, we're not going to tell our oldest daughter, Paige, we're, we're not going to mandate... You can only go to this college. What we're praying for, and what I, what I have confidence in, is that our counsel will influence. Now, there are some authority things attached to that. There are certain loan amounts I will not put my signature on. So you could say, in the end, you're going to have to find that money some other way, because, because this is how I'm approaching this as a parent. I don't know that this is right or wrong, but I'm assuming this. If I'm willing to put my name on the loan, I'm willing to pay for the loan. 
And I've got to be able to pay for that loan. And, and I want to be able to do that in a way where like, you know, she goes off to school, she gets her degree, maybe she's got some loan, we couldn't fully fund it, uh, and, and she's being faithful and she's paying for that loan, but the car breaks down. Or this happens or that happens, and, and it's going to be tight one month. I would like to be able in that moment to be able to say, we, we've got that, honey. You're faithful. You're pay- you know, so there's, so there's some wisdom stuff in there too. There's a little bit of authority, but at the end of the day, I don't think her decision will be, I can't go there just because they won't sign that amount of loan. My hope and prayer, my confidence is it'll be, even if she can't articulate it this way yet, something of what mom and dad has said has helped influence me in this direction. I see that having that amount I mean, I've never understood this. People used to come to my public college in Pennsylvania to get teaching degrees, but they lived out of state. I just heard this yesterday. Uh, at FAU, I think it's $204 for in-state tuition for a credit. It's $787 for out-of-state. And most of there were about 15 or so prospective students in our group. 11 of them were out-of-state. I mean, I'm not, I'm just like, Hey, maybe you've got scholarships. Maybe you've got a really wealthy grandparent, uh, some inheritance or something. But when they started to name their degrees, I'm thinking, okay, I mean, I'm, I'm sure FAU is a good school. But really, are there no schools in your state that will teach you biology for a fourth of the cost? I mean, like in the end, and so we're trying in wisdom to work with our kids, right? Yeah, but the fitness center's cooler. I know it's cooler, but is it four times, like later in life when your loan is this amount of money? Is it, are you going to be thinking then? And isn't that what we're trying to do with our children? We're, think about it. We're trying to get 15 and 17 and 18-year-olds to think like they're 30, depending upon how you were at 30 or will. You know, not every 30-year-old's thinking that great either, but you get the idea, right? Like we're trying, we're trying to sell them something. They, they can't see that. I mean, I, I remember being 18. I, I remember being in the front yard at our house when my mom turned 40 and there was a sign in the yard like, Honk, Sandy's 40. And uh, like, that's so old. You know, so that's what you're thinking when you're, that, when you're 18. And yet that's exactly what we're trying to do. And, 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 and we're watching this authority influence pendulum swing. More could be said there. Again, I'm talking as your children are getting older, though, not, not your three-year-old. I mean, I'm not, I'm not feeling handicapped in Walmart with my seven-year-old daughter. Well, I've told her the reasons why I don't think this is a good purchase, but in the end, she wants to purchase it, so here comes my wallet, and we're going to do it. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But we are trying to exercise authority and influence. I think that $30 purchase my 11-year-old daughter made... <laughs> for a shaver that doesn't work, I think we gained some influence. And again, I'm not sure we made the right call there. Maybe we should have just told her, that is a ridiculous purchase, and we're not going to let you waste your money. But maybe by losing 30 bucks now, we've gained some influence when it comes to 300 bucks, And we're in a different position to counsel her. I think... Lesson I'm learning, I, I, I used to try to protect my kids from any mistake, as if that's even possible. I'm a little okay with letting them make some mistakes. Just 
But it's for this reason. It's not an I told you so. It's not a we got you. But can I share with you again the reasons why I said what I said earlier? You understand? You know I'm on your side, right? Okay. And we move on. We move on. Harsh words. We try. Again, this is under examining our instruction. Examine our words. Words that are reckless, without thought. Words that tear down. You know where I'm tempted with those words? When something my son or daughters are doing that that inconveniences me. That's where I find the temptation to harsh words. Or just quick speech. You're inconveniencing me with this, that, or the other things. Uh, a, a, a big one, probably like you, uh, do you feel like you live life in your car? Do you have teens? <laughs> I feel like we live life in the car. Like I, 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 like I feel like I could go back and forth Red Bug Lake Road in suburban Orlando with my eyes closed because our, our, so much of our life plays out on there. And, and it seems more often than I would like what was three trips could have been one trip with a little bit of planning on the part of a teen. Like this didn't need to happen this way. Uh, or or, or my, my favorite, uh, possibly uh, my favorite, is uh, the 15-page whatever that needs printed out. And that always seems to be when the printer's out of ink. Uh, and they're never asking to print something out with like a 48-hour advance window. It's always the moment before. Like, I'm leaving for school now, and where's the ink? You know, kind of a thing. And, and the assumption is that, that that's when your children treat you like you are a god. Like, you somehow know the ink level in the printer, and you're the reason why we're out of ink. Or you should have known that we're out of ink, right? You know, um, etc. Wonderful moments. That's when I'm tempted to harsh words. Words that are reckless, words without thought, words that tear down. Listen, just because I didn't think through my words, don't for a moment think that my kids aren't thinking about the words that I use that I didn't think through. Right? Those words stick. Those words cut. Those words harm. Finally, I alluded to this a bit with hair. Majoring on the minors. I'm not here to tell you what the minors should or shouldn't be in your house. We just decided for us, with the hair, this too shall pass. 20 years from now, it's probably just not going to be that big a deal. I don't feel like we seeded moral ground with the hair. You have to make those decisions for you. We tend to debate that which doesn't have long-term significance. And that's not, that's not the kind of instruction Solomon's talking about. So what is he talking about as we move to a close? Our instruction to our children is to seek to persuade them the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, kids. It's the beginning of everything. And out of that, flows so much in your life. And the, and, and, and the more by His grace you grasp that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the more you're going to understand what's going on in your heart, the more you're going to be able to make sense of your world. I mean, 
a lot of teens, they're, they're just, they're living uncertain about the future, unstable in their ideas. I think part of our call as parents is not only to teach them the love and intimacy of God expressed in Jesus Christ, but also His awesomeness, His power, His sovereignty, that you know God has a plan for your life. And if you will just today trust Him and walk with Him, it doesn't mean you're going to see your whole plan at the end of today, but He is going to be faithful. He's powerful. And then to, you know where, where you can illustrate ways that's been working in your life, you're serving a God who's able. That's part of our task to persuade them of that and to honor Him. To, to trust that, you know, God has my good in view. Uh, at best, they're living in a world where God is an acceptable, tolerant buddy, but not somebody who actually has the power to lead your life in ways that are going to bless you. No, we want to persuade our kids, oh no, God, He's, he's more than a Savior. He's a Lord. He's worth your following children. He goes on, hear my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. There's a, there's a plea here from the dad to, to remember. And that should clue us in on something. Our call as parents isn't always to move on to the next new thing with our kids. It's to remind them of that of which we've already taught them. Is it any different in your walk with the Lord? I, I really don't need, you said, I didn't say anything new. I haven't said one new thing this whole weekend. We just need reminded. We need reminded. Throughout the New Testament, numerous times, you, you read, I, it's no struggle to remind you again. I would remind you. By way of reminder, we need reminded. And I think, again, why that's so important is because it doesn't depend on one down dump of all your knowledge on a topic. Little bits, a little at a time. And, and some of you can testify to this already. There are times you thought you've been sharing things your children never heard, but somewhere down the road, something comes up or they say or do something that indicates, my goodness, they got it. They took that instruction. They received that instruction. Oftentimes, it's in a, it's, I, I love when this happens. It's a separate conversation. You're in the house or someone's over, something's going on, and you'll hear something out of your ear like, yeah, my mom was saying, or my dad was, you're like, what? They were saying, what? It was something good, and they caught it. Repeat those things. Don't lose faith in the long-term good our right now instruction can produce as we're faithful. He says one more thing. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. When our children were little, we chose their friends, essentially. It's whoever showed up at our house. Well, it's a different season, at least for us with our older kids. It's a season where... We're seeking to call them to choose friends wisely. Back to those storefronts. There's God, and He's enticing. There's the world and friends, and they might be enticing in a different way. Here's why I'm urging, pleading, encouraging you to choose wisely. Uh, I'm so proud of my daughter for a lot of reasons. Uh, but one of them, and, and this is it's it's a it's a lighthearted humorous way, but uh, I thought, wow, this demonstrates some real maturity. So she's got a friend, uh, and he came to church one Sunday, and uh, he's, he's, not, he's a friend to her, but he's, I, he's a handsome dude. He's muscular, he's tall, and it was hilarious as he came into church watching all these teenage girls as he walked by. 
just watching him go by. And then they're all talking to who, who is he? Who is he? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it didn't take long for somebody asked, so is, do you like, like him? And I said, yeah, he's a friend and everything. But what she got to was uh, when she's asked a question, like, do you, do you want to go out with him? She's like, no, at least not now. They asked, well, why not? He just doesn't seem like he has goals right now. What? When has that ever been a category? I thought he's handsome and he's muscular and that was enough, you know? And he, he, he does love Jesus. He, he's all those things. And he's not exactly asking her and she's not asking him, but I thought, God, thank you. That, that's, it's, not that, it's not that he's a bad guy, but she, she has goals. She has things she wants to accomplish. And one of those things would be, if I'm interested in someone, I'd like him to have goals. And he seems a little directionless right now. Like, you just narrowed down your guy pool a lot. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, totally okay with that. You know, like, oh, you want a guy who's got a plan? Oh, okay. <laughs> Woo! It just, you know, shrunk down. Big time. But somewhere in there, I think she's been listening to her mom. I think somewhere in there, maybe a little bit she's been listening to her dad too. That we're not against you dating. We're not against a lot of things. What we're for is God's best for your life. And so that black and white world that can be teens, it, it, it's, it's drawing them out with, listen, choose your friends wisely, or in her case, choose a, a possible relationship wisely. It, it's not all going to be black and white. God's got this whole other category. All kinds of things are beneficial. All kinds of things are, or excuse me, all kinds of things are permissible. Could you date him? Sure, you could. You got goals right now, and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And for you, you're, that's just not what you're looking for. So, okay. Somewhere in there is the fruit of some conversations. And I thank God for that. Listen, more could be said. Lots more could be said. I would urge you, encourage you, read, reread. You've probably read. How many of you have read Shepherding a Child's Heart? Many of us. I promise you, you'll learn again if you read it again. Uh, Age of opportunity, if those kids are appropriate. But let me end with this. Whatever the age of my children, whether I'm a mom or a dad, my primary role in their lives is to teach them the fear of the Lord. I do that by modeling it first with instruction to follow And all that ought to tell me one thing. Lord, I need you for this task. I need you for a consistency in my own life to show them. I need you to know when to be silent, when to speak up, which hill to go up with them, which hill to say no. I don't need to go up that hill. We need you. So it just drives us to the Lord and a good place to end in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the promises we have from your word that in your word is everything we need to instruct our children Lord thank you that the burden is not ours to save them but we believe in your goodness that's exactly what you intend to do and Lord as shepherds of our children We want to shepherd them well. Lord, I know that even by design, this has been broad. 
I hope even from my own life, um, while a few so far successes have been shared, there's been plenty of my own missteps, sins, and failures. God, thank you. The future of my children is not bound up in how perfectly I've demonstrated and modeled or instructed. Their future is in your gracious hands. You're merciful. You delight to reveal yourself. Lord, we pray at early ages our children would be filled with faith in you, that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, for those who are here this morning who who have a child, a son or a daughter, just in the struggle, God, we pray for faith to rise, that as we trust you, as we look to you, even where we're not clearly seeing right now ways in which we're bearing fruit, that we would trust you. Lord, give the grace to every parent here to be faithful, leaving the results with you. Lord, would our children experiencing us, the greatest encouragers, the greatest cheerleaders, by your grace, the greatest representations of their Father in heaven. And to that end, we need you. We desperately need you. Lord, Raise up the next generation to follow you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.